Time for Michigan's newest sports talk show, Mitt Madness. And here he goes. Defense win championship. Michigan sports talk from here in Battle Creek. The latest stories, the biggest games, all across the Mitten State. That's not something to play with. Streaming live and on demand on the 95.3 WBCK app. Here are your hosts, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes. Hello there, good morning. Welcome in to Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. Jacob Harrison, brand manager of BCK. That's Dejon Hughes, the brand manager of the block 1025 and 104.9 there in Battle Creek. We got a little bit to get into. Uh, some big stuff has happened. Some big stuff is going to happen uh, with the uh, Detroit Lions. They fell short by just three points. A lot of controversy over how that went down. A lot of fans maybe not uh, either understanding or being very accepting of some of the things that happened in that game to lose to the 49ers who are now headed to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58, to face the Kansas City Chiefs. But before we get into that and a few other things, including a big Pistons win, DJ, how's it going, man? Oh, yep, there we go. Yeah, turn uh, your mic Mike on. Mike was off for a second. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm tired, man. I'm tired. It's been a long week, a lot of working, uh, and I'm going into the toughest part of um, my life and, and like the daily, yearly cycle of my life. Um, as a coach, the lacrosse coach, springtime is coming up. That's our in-season time for high school ball. I'll be leaving here doing some announcing work, going and coaching. So I'll be working two to three jobs all the time. So get used to hearing me say I'm tired, but that doesn't mean I'm not doing well. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited and ready for kind of this weekend because college lacrosse pops off. So uh, that'll be exciting as well. You're not a certified millennial or a Gen Zer if you uh, don't work multiple jobs. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> you, you live in way too nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which means you're either silver spoon, which congratulations to you because yeah, I hey, wish. Win the or you are way older than me and lived in a much simpler time. <laughs> uh, as they say, must be nice. Uh, must be nice to be a Detroit Lions fan. Uh, I've said it before multiple times on the show. Um, the, the bar to have a successful season wasn't necessarily that high, even though expectations were sky high. And we talked before the season and, you know, it was, it's kind of funny how the looks you used to give me about talking about this team with the word Super Bowl involved. And it was, it, it just, kept getting more and more and more realistic to the point where I think a huge chunk of the fan base was only going to be satisfied with that. That's tough when you're playing in just your second ever NFC championship game and you have to do that on the road against the one franchise that is more experienced than any other in your conference in playing in that game. Sure, they lose a lot of them, but they're comfortable in the NFC championship, even with a Brock Purdy type at quarterback. Not saying he's bad, but he's a second-year quarterback who is the last pick in the NFL draft. He still has a lot of growing to do. But that team is absolutely stacked. There's not a lot of weaknesses for San Francisco. For Detroit, I think there is a definite weakness, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but everlasting conversation from this game is always going to circulate, especially if the Lions never get close to this again in Dan Campbell's tenure, uh, which I doubt. Um, I think he's capable of winning a Super Bowl with this team. But the everlasting conversation for this game is 
is going to be about the fourth down decisions in the second half that came up short. So DJ, I toss it over to you. What do you think about Dan Campbell's decisions on fourth down to not trot Michael Badgley out there at least one of those times and potentially this game goes into overtime instead of being a three-point loss? I mean, we got to remember that kicker was nine of 20 on, on you know, plus 45 yards, I think it was, or whatever. Both those times he went for it were plus 45. So like, it was not a guarantee this kicker was making the kick. They're now in an outside stadium where the weather does affect the kicking as well. There there are a lot of options and, and um, factors that went into this decision. At the end of the day, nobody went for it more on fourth down this year than the Lions. Nobody was more successful at doing it than the Lions. And if you rewind a back a, a week ago, I actually talked about how the Packers blew their chances trying to be the Lions. The Lions are that team to go for it and take those chances and make it count. And let's be honest here. Let's stop blaming Dan Campbell because he made two really good calls. Yeah. Let's blame Josh Reynolds for not catching the ball. Yeah. That's who's really at fault for this. Josh Reynolds catches one or two of those balls. We might be talking about the Detroit Lions in the Super Bowl. But instead, everybody wants to blame Dan Campbell for being Dan Campbell. Stop. You loved it when he won, so don't hate it when he loses. Yeah. Don't do that. Just be like, hey, it is the game. We took our chance. We didn't get it. It is what it is. We'll move on. We'll come back and try and be stronger next year. I don't think they did anything wrong. I think the way that Dan Campbell coached the game is the way he would have coached the game 100 times out of 100. I don't think he changes any decision he makes, and he just hopes that they catch the ball. He just hopes that they make a few extra plays, but he doesn't change any of the calls he made. He doesn't change who's out on the field. He doesn't change who's on his coaching staff, nothing. He goes out and he is the coach of the Detroit Lions and whoever suits up with him and whoever is on those sidelines is going to come right behind him and he knows that. Uh, point to your comment about Badgley and being outdoors. This is the first game that Michael Badgley this season kicked outdoors for the Detroit Lions. Every game since he returned and replaced Riley Patterson was in a dome, <laughs> road or away. This, so the field goal that he kicked at the end of the, the first half, that was the only attempt he had other than the point afters. That was out doors and again both of the fourth downs would have been 40 plus yard field goals which he was not great at but fourth and I think it's I think the stat is fourth and three or less to go for the Detroit Lions I think there's 17 of 20 on the season in converting those the reason you're able to be so confident in your team is to go for it on fourth down so many times throughout a season is because of the fact that your team is so well put together and so consistent Consistent at getting to third and shorts and getting to fourth and shorts and not putting itself in a situation where it's staring down a fourth and eight when you're barely in your kicker's field goal range because that makes things very, very difficult. That's why Jake Moody missed a field goal in the first half from about that same distance. They closed in, the 49ers did, in the second half and his field goal attempts were not nearly as long. And we're talking about a rookie kicker who's actually had a pretty solid season. All things considered, Dan Campbell did what Dan Campbell does and that's what you want out of your coach you want that consistency now when it comes to saying we got to blame Josh Reynolds I will take a step back and say for those two plays yes yeah that's what I meant it's, by that. it's not his fault they lost the no, game no uh it, it, it's a collective effort squander a 24 to 7 halftime lead you don't do that with one guy okay and a lot of dudes played really really well in this game Goff Montgomery and Laporta were the the leading passers rushers and receivers in the 
this game. The Detroit Lions played fantastically, but weird things didn't go their way in the second half. And it starts with the ball that bounces off the face mask of a Lions defensive back and into the hands of Brandon Ayuk, who, I mean, you couldn't ask for a more heads up play if you're a San Francisco 49er. But let's say that, I don't know, Kirby Joseph is back there instead, who was injured one or two plays earlier. Let's say that he's back there. He catches that ball nine times out of 10, or at least deflects it in a manner that doesn't result in the ball ending in Brandon Ayuk's hands. There's a lot of things that, that have to go your way for you to win an NFC championship. They went the Lions way in the first half. They didn't go the Lions way in the second half. Another aspect of this game that I don't think gets talked about enough is the decision to run the ball on third and goal and burning a timeout in the process there at the at the end of the game with a little less than a minute to go, forcing the Lions to have to go for an onside kick. And if they don't get the onside kick, they effectively lose the game. And that's what happened. That was the one decision that I think Dan Campbell made that I did not agree with. If you score, woefully beneficial, obviously. But if you don't, you're really putting your team in a bad situation. That was the one decision that I did not agree with with Dan Campbell, though I completely understood it because the Lions run the ball at the goal line about as well as any other team not named the 49ers or the Philadelphia Eagles. So who can blame them? And I mean, not even just the goal line in general. The Lions are one of the better running teams in the entire NFL. And and even in this game, they were getting what? At least three or four yards a rush? Why wouldn't you just go ahead and punch it in and then try yeah. and have your defense save the day again? I don't think it was necessarily a bad play call. I think the 49ers just sniffed it out. And maybe Goff has to get, be in those situations more often to go, okay, they see what we're doing. Let's do this quick play action, audible, dump it over top, something like that. But it's just one of those nuanced things where it's like the Lions like to run the ball, especially down in the red zone. They went with their bread and butter, and it didn't work. You have to take chances in the NFL. So I need people to stop blaming coaches for taking chances. And this isn't even just a Dan Campbell thing. This is across the board. Yeah. If you want to win, you have to take chances, and the players just have to execute. It comes down to executing. That's every sport across the board. And at this point, the 49ers executed a little bit better than the Lions did, and that's why they won. I would say something a little controversial here uh, before we get to break. I think a bulk of the people that attacked Dan Campbell immediately, first of all, suffer from a lack of critical thinking syndrome. Uh, they can't think for longer than three minutes before they open their mouth and react to something, and that's a that's a growing problem in this country with many things. They They either just react too soon without considering the facts, which we laid out in this segment about the kicker and about the fourth downs and those types of things, but they also want to act like they're smarter than the coach. They want to feel smarter about the sport whether they know the sport in and out or not there's there's a lot of people of varying degrees of intelligence about this sport and they just they love the opportunity to look smart when it comes to football this is a simple game that is made incredibly incredibly intricate when you get to the professional level there there there's so many little things that go into it and the degree of intelligence you need to be a head coach there's a lot of bad head coaches that have come through the NFL. Dan Campbell ain't one of them. <laughs> Not even close. So to try to look at something in hindsight and say you shouldn't have done that, oftentimes, 
oftentimes you're reacting without all the given information and not understanding why a coach does what he does. Dan Campbell trusts his players and he has reason to trust his players because his trust, his players oftentimes back up his trust and come through in those moments. They just so happen to not do it in this game against one of the most talented rosters the NFL has literally ever seen that they dominated for a half of football. So Dan Campbell will be back. The Lions will be back. And we'll talk to the Lions on the other side of this break. It is Mitten Madness on 95.3 WBCK. Back here on Mitten Madness, 95.3 WBCK, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes. More on the Lions here and really kind of shifting focus. We'll talk about the Super Bowl next week. Uh, reminder that the Pro Bowl will air live here on WBCK tomorrow at 3 p.m. until 6. And then the Super Bowl will also be broadcast live on WBCK. Uh, the future of the Lions... There was there was a, a second thing that I did disagree with with Dan Campbell, but I think this one was more of an emotional response from him because he is a very emotional head coach. Uh, big reason why I like the Lions uh, so much other than geographics was how emotionally they played. Football is an emotional sport, and if you can manage heightened emotions, you can be very successful at the sport. It's why Tom Brady was so good. Tom Brady was a massively emotional player but he knew how to control those emotions and play at his peak and allow them to drive him. Lions are very similar to that. But he said after the loss that he told the locker room that this may have been our shot because it's only going to get more difficult from here because now you're not sneaking up in anybody. I heavily, heavily, heavily disagree with that. And the reason why is because for the, uh, when, when did the season start? September 7th or something like that? For, for a full four or five months, Dan Campbell, your lines haven't snuck up on anybody because day one of the 2023 NFL season, the Lions put the entire league on notice by beating the reigning Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, in their house. Now, it wasn't a dominant spectacle, but it was one of those, are the Lions going to be for real or not situations very early in the season, (laughs) as early as it gets. And they won that game. They didn't sneak up on anybody. Uh, You know, the Ravens were ready for them and tore them a new one, right? The the Bears beat them once. The Packers beat them once. Uh, You know, a handful of teams were able to get the better of the Lions this year because they weren't unaware of them right uh now maybe the 49ers got snuck up on a little bit in that first first half or maybe the lions just played as well as they possibly could and the 49ers didn't but i strongly disagree with the fact that that dan campbell thinks it's only gonna you know that 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 might have been their shot because this is a team that is only going to get better sure you don't get the benefit of having those top five top ten picks anymore you're gonna have to learn and that's something that the Lions have really never had to do. You're going to have to learn what it's like to pick back in the 30s for the first time and find somebody that, that can contribute in a meaningful way. But, I mean, look at what the, the Lions have done since Dan Campbell and and this front office has come in. They've done nothing but knock it out of the park with the NFL draft, no matter where they're selecting, right? I mean, Sam Laporta just had the greatest rookie tight end season of all time. Panay Suel 
is arguably the arguably the best right tackle in football, and they put that man in motion. <laughs> uh, uh, Jameer Gibbs looks like a a he just looks like Barry Sanders to me. He's not nearly as good yet. Don't get me wrong, but like the way he plays reminds me of that a lot. And they're nailing it in every regard there to me. There's not a lot to be concerned with. And now at least for next year, you've got Ben Johnson coming back. You're going to resign Jared Goff. There's no doubt about that. Goff played fact uh, fantastically all season. So I don't know. For me, the future just looks even brighter than the than than what they displayed this year. A 12 win season matching the all time uh, highest win total in a regular season, counting the playoffs, highest win total in a Lions season ever. I don't know. I think the I think everything's pointing up. I I think that was a difficult loss to take, but there shouldn't be anything but confidence surrounding this franchise moving forward. I'll tell you why some people are concerned. Because if this is ever a year where the Ford family might get involved again, it would be this one. After the Lions did good again, they do still own the team. And if they get in the ear of anybody about any of the decisions being made over the offseason, who gets re-signed, who they go after in free agency, draft decisions that can mess this team up a lot. Brad Holmes has done a phenomenal job in the draft, phenomenal job resigning, a phenomenal job in free agency. That was one of the best decisions by the Ford family was letting him do his job, stepping back and not really having a hand in what he's doing. If they try and do that again, that's where guys are scared. And it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to do that because where is the NFL draft this year in 2024? It's at Ford Field in Detroit. So maybe they're going to try and make a name for themselves because it's right in their own city. I don't know, but that is like what I feel has a lot of people concerned. Is They've had their hand in the cookie jar before, and it was never good. Brad, Brad Holmes has done great. So if they leave him to do his job, everything should be just fine. The Lions should win the NFC North again. They'll be in a battle with the Packers for it because my Packers are back. Trust me on that one. But I I do still think the Lions come out on top and then make another decent playoff run, if not all the way back to the NFC Championship game and maybe a Super Bowl. Everything is set up for them to make another run. What what then? I I think getting Ben Johnson back is one of the most important things for him to, to turn down those head coaching opportunities. Jared Goff will be back. David Montgomery is going to be back. This offense is absolutely stacked. I it, it can only really get better with just time with these guys being together. I, I don't think there's a single change they need or are going to be forced to make after they re-sign Jared Goff. So I think a lot of eyes go to Aaron Glenn's defense. Where, where do you think this team needs the most help to, to kind of get over that hump. I think there's a couple of different areas you could look and all of them are defensive, but if you've got a different idea, I'd love to hear it. Where do the Lions need to get better to get over the hump and and get past the NFC Championship potentially next year? If they don't draft a edge rusher on the opposite of Aiden Hutchinson uh, with one of their first picks, they're doing everything wrong. That simple. I think their edge rushing will help 
the cornerbacks and, and the and the sec, uh, secondary get better. You can go and draft more secondary. It never hurts to do so. But you have decent guys there already. But if they have to defend for five, eight, ten seconds, guys are going to get open. You have to put pressure on the quarterback to force bad decisions, make quicker throws, and help your defensive backs play better defense. Go get a rusher and watch your defense tremendously get better. I tend to agree because I would rather get a pass rusher in the draft and use free agency to get an established corner. It's harder to find corners. You can you can get extremely lucky at corner, by the way. You can find them anywhere in the draft. But how many times have we been told a guy is going to be as good as Sauce Gardner and he's not he's not Sauce Gardner, right? I mean, I I wanted to believe that Sauce Gardner would be as great as he is. But I had a hard time buying it just because it happens so infrequently. I said, there's a lot of good corners in the NFL and not a single one of them plays for the Detroit Lions. (laughs) Not a single one of them. Look, when, when Cam Sutton came over from the Steelers and he's going to wear the Uno and he's going to be the CB one, I immediately said, that's a huge problem. Cam Sutton is not a number one corner and it showed all season long. They didn't need safety help. Like CJ Gardner Johnson's good emotional leader. I know a lot of people have problems with him right now. Get used to it. That's his that's his character, right? But the problem has always been at corner. The the Lions have not had a good corner in a while and they have to since Darius Slay left, they they have to address that and and figure it out. And there's options out there in free agency should they become available. Guys like Chidabe Awuzie, uh, Legarius Sneed's one of the best in the league. Jalen Johnson is definitely leaving the Bears, uh, and he's going to be highly sought after. Um, there there are options out there at corner that I would feel more comfortable. I'm with you. Take the edge rusher late in the first round. That's generally where some of the best edge rushers are taken. Uh, and then use free or and ahead of time, use free agency to shore up your, your top cornerback slot and then use draft capital later to fill in the gaps in that secondary. Yeah. I really think it, it starts with the front seven. That's just a defensive mindset I've had, but I'm also a Michigan fan. I'm also a green Bay Packers fan. They do very well in making sure their front seven is good to help allocate for the the back half. And it's not that either one of those teams has a bad secondary, but the longer your secondary has to play defense, the more likely someone's going to get open. So how do you supplement that? By going into your front seven and making sure they can get pressure on the quarterback. They can get in holes. They can contain. They can uh, put on a QB spy. Whatever they have to do to force them into those bad decisions. And I mean, and, and that's my philosophy as well, is shore up the, the pass rush. Use that to your advantage. It's it, it's quicker to affect the quarterback in that manner than to shut everything else down and hope your pass rush gets there. You want your four or five guys to be able to get there. And Aiden Hutchinson just doesn't have a lot of help. If the bulk of his pass rushing help is coming from the interior, they're still able to shift so much of their offensive line to Aiden Hutchinson, and it makes him much more ineffective than he should be. And... 
anybody that looks at Hutchinson's stats is like, why does he get all this attention? He's not that good. Well, stop being a box score nerd and, and actually watch some tape and watch how many people block Aiden Hutchinson at a time. This dude is getting TJ Watt levels of attention over there. And TJ Watt's got a lot more help on his defensive front. You got to help out Aiden Hutchinson and allow him to be a mega star on this defense. And he needs help to do it. Micah Parsons has help. Uh, Miles Garrett has help. TJ Watt has help. Give Aiden Hutchinson some help and watch this defense flourish. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we're going to, you know, do that little whip around thing we do where we cover some of the other sports around the league. We, we're almost out of football, so I guess we're going to have to get pretty good at talking about it longer. But that is up next, talking Izzo, Red Wings, whatever else we can find here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. Detroit sports fans, Wolverines and Spartans alike, this is your sports show, Mitten Madness, with Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes on 95.3 WBCK. WBCK, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes talking to everything Michigan sports. We spent some uh, quality time talking about the Lions. It'll be the last time we get to talk about them until, you know, kind of like draft time uh, or unless there's some big news, free agency, that sort of thing. So let's uh, whip around with the Detroit Pistons first who, DJ, you were there. How the hell did they beat the Thunder? Okay. I mean, (laughs) okay. First off, first off, I'm sorry to all the Lions fans. I really feel like the Lions losing is partially my fault. I said way back a long time ago that the Pistons would win this game that I was going to. It was supposed to be a joke about them being the worst team in the league and losing all those games until I got there and I would be their savior, except that kind of actually happened. And then the Lions went to lose, so I feel like I sucked some of the winning energy away. So I apologize for my part in the Lions losing. But, I mean, the Pistons were literally just on fire. Yeah. Jaden Ivey couldn't miss. Um... Azura Thompson was great defensively. Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart did their thing on the out uh, on the inside. It was just one of those games where it kind of looked like the Thunder either A, were feeling the effects of their road trip that they're on right now, which when you're on a road trip, it sucks. You're sleeping in hotels all the time. You're flying. You're on buses. You're not getting the best meals in you. Like All of that is a fact when you're a professional athlete. So I think it may have been a little bit of that, or it could have just been the Thunder going, look, Pistons have five wins on the season. Let's just go out here and play. If we win, we win, but we should win. Like we we shouldn't have to go balls to the walls tonight to pull out a victory. And let's be honest here, they lost by what? 12, 15 or whatever, and they didn't play like necessarily well. So it's they were right. They didn't need to go balls to the walls, and they almost got a win out of it. So it's just one of those scenarios where the Thunder kind of underestimated what the Pistons could be due to how they've been all year, in which the Thunder beat them the two previous times they played this year already. So it's not like the Thunder didn't know. One time. Or sorry, the, the one previous time. So it's not like the Thunder didn't know what kind of team they were going against. But they, they kind of just took the L. And <laughs> they were they were cool with it, it seemed, and kind of just moved on with their business. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it works in basketball at this point in the season. But I do think it's funny that the Thunder walked in with an 85% chance of victory. And with a minute 37 seconds left in the second quarter, that's when the win probability shifted to the Pistons. And they never let it back. No, it, it got didn't. close to going back a couple of times to the Thunder. But the, the, the ESPN analytics from that point on, the Detroit Pistons are winning this basketball game. And like, we're, we're in the middle.
middle of the season, right? We're not even close to being able to talk about postseason and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, the Detroit Pistons season is long lost, but they're at the point where they've just got to fight every week to, to, you know, a lot of these guys fighting for their jobs. A lot of these guys fighting to show that, you know, they're worth sticking around as this rebuild, uh, continues. So to perform like that against a quality team in the NBA that's going to be in the postseason and is going to do some fun things. I mean, that's pretty important, but I'll say it's to me, it feels like it's easier to give that grace back to the players to get to this point where, you know, they've, they've won a, a few games over the past 15 or so outings and they went on a very long stretch without them. I, I feel like, and maybe I'm reading it wrong, but I feel like this is something to, to give those flowers to the players rather than anything else. Because at this point, you know, it's all about their willpower rather than, than anything else you can square it up to. No, I just think you're overlooking it. Yeah. Really? Looking too, too deep. Their season's over. Nobody really cares. You're just trying to get to the offseason and move on. Figure out. I, I, uh, uh, I disagree with but that. But the vibes inside the Because you're, you're professionals. Great. Like, this is your future. If you just go out there and you're like, oh, I don't care. All they're trying to do is make sure that they have a job. That's what I'm saying. But, like, it, not to, like, oh, we need to win these games to make sure I have a job. I just need to make sure I drop yeah. whatever. And, and the Pistons truly don't look like they're even playing like that. Like, what I saw Sunday seemed like an anomaly. They were smiling and excited, and I was like, "Then maybe I'm right a little bit." This Pistons basketball <laughs> for real. <laughs> I mean, if you find a way to have fun when you're bad, that says a lot about. But it, to me, it's one your, of those your like, team uh, camaraderie. I say, yeah, because losing those, sucks, dude. It's one of those things where the team is bonding over hating Monty Williams. That's that's a possibility. <laughs> that's kind of what I see. I Guys mean, are just like we got to do what we. We can. might see see the Pistons, you know, do a little jig like the Bucks did when they fired their. Coach. <laughs> I mean, I know the city will be. The city gonna be out dancing when Monty Williams I is mean, out the door. Look, it, it's a point in Detroit, right, where the Lions are on top of the football world, right? And I know not everybody in Detroit is a Wolverines fan, but the Wolverines just won the national championship. The Red Wings are on the way back. If the season ended today, they'd be in the playoffs. I got to say the sentence, DJ. Uh, the Tigers should be on the way back up. We're waiting on the Pistons here for world domination, right? Come on, guys. Let's get it together. Uh, Let's move to to some other basketball news. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, uh, and it did kind of go down as as expected. The Michigan State Spartans did lose that game to Wisconsin, but they came back uh, to their house and got the win over Michigan, 81-62, and that was win number 700 for good old Tommy Izzo. Congratulations to Tom Izzo. I did watch a portion of that game and turned it off very quickly. Uh, I turned it on right after halftime, which I need to do it – clear investigation into Michigan because they are the best first half team I have ever seen. They beat everybody in the first half. They they're literally <laughs> leading like all first halves this year and then just come out and lose. So I don't know what happens in the break, but first half Michigan, <laughs> best basketball team in the country. Second half Michigan, arguably the worst. So that's something to keep an eye on. Obviously Jawan's job is something to keep an eye on. But Izzo still doing his thing, and he might croak over and die on a basketball court <laughs> at this point. But Michigan State still looks good, and if they continue to play this way, only losing to schools like West, uh, Wisconsin and Purdue in terms of Big Ten ball, they're going to find themselves 
back into the, the NCAA tournament like they want to be. So the only two ranked games that the Spartans have left are Illinois and Purdue. Illinois is at home uh, on the 10th, and then they start March with a road trip to Purdue. Now, I, I know we're we're a good bit away from March, right? A lot of things happen in February. Uh, but just looking at that, that schedule ahead, um, I mean, Il- Illinois is ahead of them. Northwestern is ahead of them. Indiana is ahead of them. Those are the only teams they play that are ahead of them in the, in the current standings. Everybody else is below them. I mean, we, we talked a lot. You know, this team isn't near its expectations, but is this really an opportunity for them to kind of turn the corner and, and backdoor their way into the NCAA tournament and make a successful season out of this? Yeah, I think it's, it's possible. They literally just have to continue. Like, you pretty much can't lose for the rest of the way. And you have to put up a good showing in the tournament. Your best bet is can't money. lose games that you're supposed to win, right? And I and and I don't think, just don't lose. Period. I mean, you know that's what you can. They're control probably going to lose to Purdue, I, of course. <laughs> but that like that's the part of this that you can control is that just if you go out and play your best ball, nine times out of ten you'll win. You have a very good built team, and there are some teams that are just going to be better than you. Purdue is one of those teams, most likely. Wisconsin looks really good. Um, Illinois is never bad at best. Like certain teams are going to give you a fight or going to beat you. That's fine. Mm. But go out and win every game you possibly can. And then put up a good showing in the tournament. Your best chance is to win the big 10 tournament. But if you don't go out, win three, four, end up in a semifinal against Purdue, lose by two or something like that. Or maybe you beat Purdue in the semifinal and lose to Wisconsin in the final. That helps you. Those are quality wins and losses to have. Sure. They're in the tournament and it's late, but that may be the last push you get over someone else who ends up dying out uh, earlier in their conference tournament, first, second round, something like that. Do well for the rest of the season, and I'm sure State gets into the tournament. Uh, two big games for them. I did, I, like I said, there's only a handful of teams above them in the current standings that they play for the rest of the season, but the, the Maryland game tonight, as you're listening, and the Minnesota game on the road on Tuesday, those are huge, huge games because those are the two teams directly below them in the Big Ten standings. Um, and they'll, they'll want to, you know, gain some ground, gain some momentum before they head into that Illinois game, which is going to be difficult. And of course, I mean, the, the higher seeding that you get, you know, when it comes to the Big Ten tournament, the the more damage you can do there, and the more chaos that can be created in your favor. Uh, and then, like I said, maybe you backdoor your way into the NCAA tournament and uh, do something fun. Didn't have time to talk about the Red Wings, but like I said, if the season ended today, I know they're on a All Star break. Season ended today, they'd be in the playoffs. So we'll continue to see if they can uh, get you know a little bit more comfortable seating. Uh, right now, they would be the the final seed in the Eastern Conference. We'll take a break, and when we come back, it's time for our picks. No football to choose from. We're not doing that. Stinky old Pro Bowl flag football game. Uh, so it's going to be a very interesting round of picks this week on Mitten Madness. 95.3 WBCK. 95.3 WBCK. Back here on WBCK, it's Mitten Madness, 95.3 WBCK. Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes, time for our picks. This is uh, the first week that we're doing this without any football whatsoever, so uh, it's it's very basketball heavy with hockey being off. Almost, I think it's all college basketball too, yeah. So uh, we'll have some fun with that. But first, uh, I think next week is the end of this thing. Well, you know, I'll lose, DJ will win, and we'll go somewhere for dinner or something like that, and I'll have to front the 
bill and my girlfriend will uh, not be thrilled about that and it'll be a great time. So yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's get this one on the road. What are the current standings, Dejan? Yeah, slow down. All right. You're only behind three games. So do you think what, I'm going to clear three games in, in the next two, weeks? two weeks? You absolutely could. We were both three and three last week, actually uh, coming in tied. So I'm 97 and 40 on the year and you're close behind at 92 and 48. So just a few games behind. You'll be able to wrap everything up and get in. All right. Well, I'll get us started. We got six games, all college basketball. First up is number four, Houston taking on number eight, Kansas. That game is uh, in a few hours at 4 p.m. today. It's at Kansas. Houston is the favorite, but it is a top 10 matchup there. Houston, Kansas, number four, number eight. Who wins, DJ? This one's hard for me because Houston has been great this year. They have all the pieces they need to be good, and they pretty much reloaded from last year where they were almost a Final Four team. But Kansas bringing over my guy, Hunter Dickinson from Maryland, where he played his Michigan ball or college ball at Michigan for three years before uh, becoming a Jayhawk. They look well, and they've done well this year, but they've lost some big games. Houston is another big game, and I'm not sure if they can pull it off. I'll take the Cougars on this one. Yeah, I'm going to take the Cougars, too. I'm very impressed, uh, actually, that they're in the Big 12 now, and they're playing even better than they did in the American Conference. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not worried about Dickinson. I'm not worried about any of that. Houston is kind of turning into one of those men's basketball powerhouses around the, the country, so don't doubt Houston. We'll stay in the Big 12. Another ranked matchup coming up. Let me see. Ranked Big 10 action going on. This one happened at 8 p.m. Waco, Texas and Foster Pavilion. Iowa State Cyclones are coming down to take on Baylor. Iowa 5-2 and two in the conference, 16-4 and four in the year. They're 12th in the country. Baylor 15-5, and 4-3 and three in the conference, 18th in the country. ESPN is giving them a 57.5% chance to come out with the victory, but there's no point favorite on here, so what do you think is going to happen? I think those losses were a little fluky there, huh? To Texas, close. Two overtime losses, including a triple overtime loss to TCU. TCU's a good team this year. Now I'm going to stick with the home team on this one. Baylor's not a bad basketball team. I don't think that 4-3 and three record is reflective of how good they are. Just a tough three-game stretch there in late January. It's a new month. Time to turn things back around. Baylor would be as good as they're supposed to be. Get a conference win over the Cyclones. All I'm going to say is, in their last five, Iowa State has beat two of those three that you just mentioned in both Kansas State and TCU that Baylor lost to, and they beat Kansas in their last game. I like that three-game stretch for Iowa State, and I think they ride that momentum and pick up a tough conference road victory in Waco. Give me the Cyclones. That's fair. That's fair. Next up, Tennessee and Kentucky. This one is in Lexington at the Rupp Arena. Tennessee is number five in the country. Kentucky is number 10, and uh, Tennessee coming off a tough loss to South Carolina. Kentucky coming off of an overtime loss to Florida. Those are not perennial powerhouses in the SEC, by the way, like Tennessee and Kentucky are supposed to be. Though South Carolina did beat both of these teams uh, within a within the span of a week. That's very interesting. Tennessee is favored a little bit by the ESPN analytics, not by much. Who wins this one down there in Kentucky? This has been one of the weirdest Kentucky seasons ever. They came in, not a lot of words swimming around about what their team would be like. Not a lot of huge name recruits like we're used to seeing in the past. No John Calipari on the sidelines. Just different in Rupp Arena this year. But look at how they're playing. 
They're playing very well. Rob Dillingham is running this team as one of the best point guards in the country and doing his thing. I like Kentucky to continue cruising through the SEC, continue to play well. And even though this is going to be a tough game, they're at home playing in front of BBN, Big Blue Nation. They love it down there in the Bluegrass State, trying to put on for those guys. I think Kentucky gets a very, very hard-fought, gritty win at home in a close game against the Volunteers. So uh, to clear things up, South Carolina is second in the conference. They're 18-3. and They're only one game back from the Alabama Crimson Tide, who are the top team in the SEC. Just to to kind of clear that up, I am going to take the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, They're the more, I I feel like they've been more dominant, especially in recent weeks. The loss to South Carolina not, you know, being what it is. Interestingly enough, South Carolina of the three teams that we're talking about here, because they keep interrupting me, uh, they're the only team not ranked (laughs) of the three. Very interesting the way that that works in college basketball. Nonetheless, I'm taking Tennessee to get the win in Rupp tonight and kind of send the Kentucky Wildcats tumbling here late in the season. I will keep things in the men's world for now. We'll slide over to the Atlantic coast, get a little bit closer to that coastline. We're going to be in North Carolina. We're going to be at the great Dean E. Smith Center in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, bringing in the good old Duke Blue Devils from down the road in Durham, North Carolina. This is going to be a matchup between two top 10 teams. The Duke Blue Devils at number seven, North Carolina at number three, 17 and four for the Tar Heels, nine and one in the conference. Duke, Dan and Strong, 16 and four, seven and two in the conference. They play twice a year. They always go back and forth. They both lost one of their last five. Duke dropping to pit by a score 80 to 76. North Carolina losing a heartbreaker 74 73 to Georgia Tech. Who comes out in a battle of blue buds as the winner and arguably the most anticipated rivalry on the hardwood? I want to point something out here. These teams are so ridiculously even matched. Average points Duke 81, North Carolina 82.6. Average points allowed Duke 67.2, North Carolina 69.2. Field goal percentage Duke 48, UNC 45. Rebounds 35 9 for Duke, 41 6 for UNC. 16 and 14 on assists. Same same deal. Uh, they're, they're, they're so evenly matched. It's ridiculous. So the reason I'm going to take North Carolina is because they're not losing back to back games. They're, it's just not going to happen. They're not going to lose at home in this situation. So yeah, just give me give me the Tar Heels. That that is, this if you ain't doing nothing tonight, watch this damn game. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm this this game is always exciting to sit down and watch. It's one of the better ones in the nation. These two battle it out every time, but without Coach K on the sidelines, Duke has struggled against North Carolina. I expect things to stay the same, especially since North Carolina is bringing the Blue Devils into Chapel Hill. I think they pull out a tough rivalry win and a packed out Dean E. Smith. Give me North Carolina. Last game for me, it is another top 10 matchup this weekend. This one in the Big Ten. This one should be a good one. It's over in Madison, Wisconsin as the number six Wisconsin Badgers host the Purdue Boilermakers who are number two in the country. This game is at one o'clock Sunday. Set your stopwatches and enjoy this one. It's going to be a heavy hitting Big Ten matchup. DJ, who do you think is going to win between the Badgers and the Boilermakers at the top of the Big Ten? Oh, this one is so hard to pick. Um, the Big Ten is one of the weirdest basketball conferences because it's normally so even across the board. A lot of teams beating anybody at any time. Uh, Northwestern just took Purdue to a very tough game that they ended up winning in overtime and Wisconsin lost their last one to Nebraska in overtime. Both of these teams were unranked that these two teams, two ranked almost top five matchup teams are playing against. It's just one of those years where things aren't
aren't panning out the way you think they would. But there's one thing that Purdue has that most of the conference does not. Do you know what that is? It's Zach Eddy. I was about to say, I think it's this guy whose last Zach name. Is, it's not Eddy. <laughs> Eddy. Zach Eddy. Me. Zach Eddy is great. And, and, you know, returning AP player of the year. I'm pretty sure he won the Wooden Award last year as well. Averaging 23 points. Purdue only has two losses on the year. Wisconsin has five. Five is bigger than two. I like trends as well. And the teams that Purdue has beaten recently are teams that Wisconsin has either struggled against or already lost to. So I got to take Purdue to uh, get another victory. Yeah, I think uh, Purdue has been beaten up a little bit on the lower end of the conference in their recent five with wins over Rutgers, Michigan, and Iowa. Rutgers being a little bit closer than it should be. The tight win over Northwestern. Northwestern is the number four team in, in the conference. Now, Nebraska lost their overtime game to, or excuse me, Wisconsin lost their overtime game to Nebraska. Nebraska is the fifth team. So these teams are, are very evenly matched in how they're handling their matchups because Wisconsin also handled some lower level competition in Michigan State and Minnesota. That Minnesota game being a little bit tighter than they wanted, but they put the bang thing on Indiana, which Purdue did as well. Very evenly matched teams, except when you look at one little thing. Points per game, assists per game, blocks per game, rebounds per game. All of those heavily favor the Purdue Boilermakers. Purdue's one of the best teams in the country, guys. Don't ever think this one. Purdue's one in the basketball game. I'm glad you took a really long roundabout way to say that because I was getting very concerned. Um, <laughs> getting into the last game of the week for us, we're headed over to the hardwood, but this time the women are stepping down on it. We're headed over to the other coast, the Pacific coast this time, getting into California. Two California teams taking off against each other in a top 10 matchup on the women's side of things. Stanford, the four seed, will be hosting the UCLA Bruins inside of Maples Pavilion on Sunday, 4 p.m. on ESPN2, UCLA 16 and 3 on the year, 5 and 3 in conference. Stanford 19 and 2, 8 and 1 in conference. They're not giving us any predictors or anything, but I can tell you that in the last five, UCLA has lost by three. They've won by almost 20, won by eight, lost by 13 in overtime, and lost by eight. While Stanford has won all of their games by double digits, except for a 12 point loss to Colorado. Really weird, right? Yeah. Colorado's actually been really good and is ranked in the top 10 for women's basketball this year. So that does kind of track on that side of things. What do you think is going to happen? That Colorado loss for Stanford was on the road. I think that's that's vitally important. When you look back, uh, you know, UCLA did win that game on the road against Colorado, but they also lost to Utah and USC. Utah and USC are middle of the road Pac-12 teams. Feels weird to even talk about the Pac-12. Thought it didn't exist anymore. Washington State is even lower than they are middle of the road Pac-12 teams. Stanford's domination I think continues because they're at home. Again, you just you can't overthink it. The better team is at home and they're on a four-game winning streak and the other, you know, the road road team coming in is up and down. They can't find their consistency against teams that they really should beat. Give me Stanford. I agree. So with that, we did match up on a couple of these picks. I'm gonna run them back. We're both taking North Carolina over Duke, both taking Houston over Kansas, both taking Purdue over Wisconsin and Stanford over UC UCLA in the women's game. I've got Iowa State. You're going to take Baylor and I've got Kentucky and you're going to take Tennessee. Get us on out of here into the weekend. Yeah, so the Pro Bowl will be on the air tomorrow on, w- on 95.3 WBCK starting
starting at three, running until six. It won't be a play-by-play of the flag football game. It'll just be kind of a, you know, a regular show <laughs> kind of going over everything that's happening at the Pro Bowl and previewing the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl will also air live on 95.3 WBCK. That coverage will start at four with the pregame Super Sunday show. Uh, and then the entire broadcast will be heard here live on the station. We'll be back next week at 10 a.m. for more to uh, preview the Super Bowl ourselves, to make our picks, our final picks. If uh, I gain ground this week, I might be in position to win this whole thing. And that sure would be sweet. Uh, we'll see how it all goes, though. We'll see you next week here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. Join Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. for Mitten Madness on 95.3 WBCK. Miss the show or want to play it back? Stream Mitten Madness live or on demand on the 95.3 WBCK app.